0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored by Alltag, and thanks to our supporting partners, 3XLogic, Aura, Lodge Service, and Intrepid Security. Now, my guest this week is Dan Hardy. Dan is Group Head of Global Security at TUI. Now, Dan's career has spanned three decades with experiences including military, policing, private personal security, and a decade in the corporate sector, leading security to some of the largest businesses, member organisations and suppliers alike. Now, Dan's career retail highlights commence whilst in policing by advancing technological approaches to tackling organised retail crime. Whilst in the corporate sector, uh, strategic highlights including being a member of and lastly the chairman of the BRC Security Group, they need him back, didn't say that, co-author of the first retail-led UK violence reduction strategy and a leader and key contributor to many police and home office change, initiatives now Danny's well known within the uk and globally for his expertise insight plus an openness to talk and share that knowledge which has made him sought after and a friend of many dan welcome it's always a pleasure
1: hello paul how are you I can't yeah, that's very, TV. It's scary. i've can't got imposter syndrome and i was like oh dear it sounds very scary i say this to a few
0: people and, and and i feel bad for those i don't mention it too but you're one of those people if you google them or go on to linkedin you just get pages and pages of stuff that you've done and nice comments from people and contribute to this and contributor to that. So um, uh, you've done an exceptionally good job of, uh, of getting very competent at what you do, but also sharing if you like for the wider community. So I think that's why I've never heard a bad word said about you anywhere, or maybe I just don't go into the right dark corners. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, long not that continue, Paul. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm sure someone somewhere will probably something bad say something bad, about me at some point? But that's very nice of you to say so. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been, a, been a good 30 years. Uh, enjoyed it. Um, I've lost and broken most things. That's not on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's been it's been good fun. It's been hard work. But yeah, we've just it's, it's gone on. Well. So,
0: so before we come on to sort of you know what you're doing now, go way back when, uh, yeah. and maybe you know young Dan in his short trousers staring out of the window at school, but what was what did you want to do what was the actually intended career and then you either achieved or didn't achieve that then give me a little hop along the 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 running order
1: I mean I I, uh, in my short trousers age 15 and a half I was sat there thinking wow I'd love to join the army and my teachers were like no no you must carry on at school you're doing well you must go to college And I just got a bit bored of studying so my 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 desire was to go into the military, and I went to a recruiting office, and I met this very smart bloke in a red tunic and a big black hat, and I thought, wow, he had some presence, and I want to be him, and uh, I just got drawn into the aura of the guards because it was quite it was quite intimidating, but also quite fascinating to boot, and um, yeah, join the guards, 16. I got very lucky um, straight away you know, into the Grenadier Guards. And that kind of set off my security world because if you go out of the army, what's that got to do with security? Yeah, duh. We looked after the royal family in Buckingham Palace. And, you know, all the kit that was there 30 years ago is probably ahead of what some people have got now. And I ended up doing my, my sort of BTEC in security equipment, age 16. So that kind of my started my passion of security and other bits and did a few operational tours. And then I realised that, Unfortunately, the military doesn't pay very well, <laughs> um, which was a bit of a bit of a challenge when trying to rent a house in West London. Um, so, yeah, decided to, to move on and get into the private world, end up looking after um, the Daimler family in West London for a while and then thought oh, I'll join the police next. And, you know, those days you could just do that. So um, jumped into policing, had a happy 14 years there, uh, which was ace. But the last three years was all around business crime. You know, how can we deal with organized criminals in a different way? Those targeting cash and transit um, banks, high-end jewelers. So it was all about following property rather than criminals. And it was greatly successful. Uh, and then that led me into how I could go and do this out in the private sector, G4S, Sainsbury's. Um, see, then the intelligence world became a big part Um worked a lot with the home office around challenges in policing because at that point see the, the cuts had come into play so working in that side of it in retail you could see the real impact that was having you know gone on my days of turning up every shoplifter because that's the way it was you know shoplifter came entertained you're going to arrest them happy days <laughs> um and then you into to risk you know the thaw, threat harm opportunity risk type policing which was right because the police is you know police forces is not the resources to deal with it um based on such volumes so Ended up supporting what was then known as the, um, what's it called? The Achieving Standards Group with Georgie Barnard. I don't remember her. So before the National Business Crime Center. So how could businesses work together to target prolific offenders? Uh, the NBCS had just been born as the NCBIB. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, been a long journey, um, and ended up working with the BRC, then chaired the BRC when, when Phil Wilson retired, legend of a man, um, yeah, so we got into violence reduction because that just started kicking off. Everyone was saying all the old guys were saying, "Oh, real threats, terrorism." I remember sitting there with Iona and others, and we were like, "No, no, it's not, it's not terrorism. It's, it's retail violence." And that was 2014. What, hmm, What's changed, yeah. you know? Yeah. Still retail violence, isn't it? And um, so we haven't succeeded in that. So I may have started a wheel. Loads of us started a wheel, um, but that's ultimately got bigger because society has still got more violent um yeah from there uh, national business crime solution md bringing everyone together separated that from its old entity uh and that's still flying so that's great uh then md of amberstone so putting all that risk stuff together tech people intel uh yeah and then now tui so yeah i'm proud of the journey it's been epic really everywhere i go there's a problem which has been enjoyable to fix so yeah it's a nice one
0: let's hope you arrive to solve a problem opposed to leaving a problem behind wherever you went i think uh, i think the former <laughs> opposed to the latter so it's good it is interesting when you talk through that journey um it, you almost make it sound easy um but I, I imagine you don't just wake up from a position of private security for the Daimler family and go oh i want to join the police now or m- maybe there was just a constant stream of offers coming through but it's just i mean it's really, just, you put it down to timing, yeah. You, I mean, you visualize where you want to go next, the right timing, and and off you go.
1: I'm a great, I always say this to and anyone who's worked with me will, will have heard me say this a hundred times you borrow a job, you make it the best you can, you give it to someone else. And you know, I've borrowed each one, done my best, and then moved it on. Um, that's it. You know, I was quite lucky at the time, policing was massively recruiting, um, you know, just like it's just done again. Yeah, and it's so, yeah, it's just luck, really. You know, I joined the army, had a great time. Joined the police, had a great time, and all the corporate places, you know, have, have been great. They've all got challenges. They're all difficult. You all have bad days, but you know, bad days twenty four hours. Isn't it move on, enjoy it, put a smile back on, and <laughs> do it all again.
0: <laughs> so, and I have to say, just going back, you know, you were sort of talking about, you know, yeah, the whole business crime bit and kicking it off. I think you know that sort of 2014, 2015 period that feels like that was the start of an awakening like an awareness of the scale of it I mean I go back to my days starting off in stores and you would you know when you got hit on the head with a tin of salmon or whatever that was just like earning your stripes that was part of it the abuse oh yeah you'll be fine nobody thought about the impact on store staff management what was going on but it seemed that was a pivotal point around there where the police started to engage and people like yourself at the forefront of bringing policing government retailers together to go actually do you know what guys and girls there's a bigger problem here and we need to start that debate and it it feels like it's had a few milestones along the way but yeah i think you've got to take a lot of credit for being in there at at the start if you like and sort of kicking it uh you know into visibility so yeah that certainly is still gaining strength and, and and running and running and running
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a, some few key people, uh, Clint Reed, um, Andy Reese, Iona, uh, Blake, myself, um Andy Reese's old boss from Asta, uh, went to Walmart, I can't remember her name. Um, went out to America. There was a few key people that really sort of sat there and went, you know, we need to change this, this isn't right. And Georgie Barnard, uh, Patrick Holdaway as he was then from Hampshire, Nelty now the city, and we you know, uh, and there was a... um Sussex Police as well um, we're, were key and pivotal, and all the you know NABCP. We're all in a room saying we've got to change this. How do we make this? Because we we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Um, and we, everyone worked really hard to try and create advice, guidance, training standards, confrontation management, de-escalation, you know, security specs. And everyone was really free and open to giving the best advice possible to make a change. And then all risk forums as well. They they were fab. Um, and that key group of people really tried to push and push and push. What let that down, I think, was there was a multitude of minister changes within a short period of time, which really didn't help. I don't know how many ministers of vulnerability I met in three years. Um, yeah, that's not criticising, that's that's life, isn't it? These, these people change quickly. But that then meant there was no consistency in ministerial impact. So that, that probably slowed progression. Um, so, yeah, proud of what we achieved. But I think we could have done more if... Those in politics had more of a longer term view as to what the, you know, the impact on the public would be. And then aside with that, obviously the commercial impact on businesses, because the more we charge as suppliers for something, the more uh, the customers pay for it. And that means, you know, that that can add price and inflation into, into other products. So the inflationary pressures caused by security change can also be a contributing factor to what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, everyone was open to try and do the best thing for staff and yeah. that was amazing. So it was great to be a part of, and it's great to see it carrying on. You know, you think you had the the impact days, you had OpBird, you got Sava days. So it's great. It's carried on. It's brilliant.
0: And and, and if anybody doesn't recognise or know those people that you just name-checked, go and find them on LinkedIn and connect with them because uh, they're great people to know. Uh, and it was Claire that went uh, to Walmart right. in the US, wasn't it? Was, it was, so. yeah, it
1: was. It was Claire. Claire Rushton. Yeah, um, Yeah, great, great group of people. And I would buy any of them a beer tomorrow. They're fab, fab people. Right. Um, and hopefully they'd say, say the same for me. Yeah, well, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So yes, we'll find out in October. But yeah, so we well, so nice a drink.
0: <laughs> we'll find out. I think everybody you've name checked is uh, is at Retour Leicester in the Fraud Awards in the UK on the when go. did we go? 5th of October. So we'll see it all there. Right. So look, fast forward uh to today, and you are sat at Tui. Um yeah. and I'm gonna ask you to explain a little bit about the business. That's not because I don't think most people will know the business but i'm not sure most people will understand the scale of the business yeah. i know you and i spoke before we came on air and i'm still in shock at that but of course it all makes sense and then perhaps explain your the scale of your role your size and where you fit into the the goliath
1: yeah so to itself obviously uh, largest tour operator in the world um we operate across eight markets globally so that's you know all of our own hotels. We also have a significant amount of joint venture properties. So you're up in the rounds of, you know, 18,000 properties around the world. And then what comes with that is our five airlines um, and then our own cruise operations, all of our cruising partners. So you've got TUI Cruises, Morella, Hapag Lloyd, um, and all of the other partnerships that we have that support that um, operation. And then our sort of assistance operations, so intercruises and all the other parts that support cruise ops around the world. Uh, and then, you know, if you think the day-to-day of delivering that many millions of people across variant solutions, you've then got what we call our um, amusement operation. So that's how the tours, excursions, transfers, there's 70,000 different things you can purchase from us every day uh, around the world. Um, so not just the holidays, it's, you know, renting a bike, going on a tour, getting on a bus. Um, we have ownership or joint ownership or oversight of what we call destinations around the world. Um So from my role is responsible for the global security strategy for that. There are legislative security operators in airline and cruise because they have to have their own separate named persons. Um, So I have global oversight, security, intel, um, specifications, and sort of global governance for for all things in our world. And that includes engaging with uh, ministers, consulates, embassies, um, regarding changes to advice, bearing in mind, what is acceptable to somebody from the UK may not be acceptable to somebody from Poland, Germany, Austria. So we have to be cognitive of differing advice for different markets to make sure we can service everybody, which means you could have, you know, some people not going and some people going to a different location. Um, so we have to manage sensible advice, which is pragmatic, whilst delivering a safe environment, mindful of all of those variances um, every day, which is great. You know, you spend thousands on a holiday, you don't want to have security in your face, so it's also got to be relative to the environment. Um, so you put all that in one pot and yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and when you sit there and describe that, I assume that you head up a team of about 11,000 people, Dan, to, uh, to to make all of that possible.
1: No, I have a very small team, a very small dedicated team based around uh, the world, um, predominantly Europe, and they all have regional responsibilities. Clearly, we have operations around the world that they, they jump into. Um, but yeah, we, we work as a part of our safety team to health and safety you have the security side and then our crisis side so if things go wrong the crisis team step in um it's a really interesting role i've learned in six months so much it's been yes yeah, incredible journey incredible company um lovely people and i've never known so many people who work so hard to give people a great experience um and sometimes we get it wrong you know that's life isn't it but it's uh, yeah it's good company good fun For every type of business, the power of a data-driven security video management system designed to give you total control anywhere, anytime, 3x logic.
0: And I can't begin to imagine where you start each day, but is there any such thing as a, a typical day? You know, you know, Dan sits down in the morning, opens up the laptop, or whatever. I mean, what does your day-to-day look like? I mean, what, what takes up the bulk of your time? Is there is there a certain 10 things that you start each day with to check. I mean, how on earth do you, you chunk that down?
1: So the, the biggest thing, first of all, is daily intelligence. So I have some fabulous uh, global intel providers, some strategic, some tactical. So we look at everything going on around the world. And that could be environmental, that could be criminal, that could be protest, pre-planned, spontaneous. And, you know, some things you may think, of, go, well, how does that affect a hotel in that location? That one protest could affect the supply of, gas or petrol, which could affect the supply of people, which could mean we can't operate in certain places tomorrow or within a couple of days. So we spend our lives looking at geopolitical threats, risks, and trying to perceive how that could impact our operation and our commercials. Um, And then we look into incidents, you know, what's happened, and then investigations of incidents and learning from them, and then how we change assessment profiles and strategy going forward. So that's kind of every day. That's the day-to-day what the team do chunked up by parts of the world, effectively. So we start at the Americas, work our way across, and um, take it from there. But yeah, it's, it's you know it's incredibly interesting, and it's also scary at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. people are horrible. The amount of nasty things that you see or hear or every day, you know, everyone knows this, we work in retail, we deal with the public every day. They're wonderful, but they can also be terrible. Um, so yeah, managing that on a global basis can be challenging, but also really enjoyable. So that's, that's the day-to-day. And what comes with that is obviously... The risk elements, the you know the understanding of the profile, feeding into our compliance function to make sure that we're you know noting all the relevant risks, how they change on a global basis, how they evolve, what we're doing them, and and how we're going to mitigate them. So yeah, that's that's the day every day.
0: <laughs> with, with the intel that you've got and the insight, I'm kind of tempted to. Uh... To figure out where the Hardy family goes on holiday, and just go to the same places because I assume they're the, uh, uh, the, the 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 top ten safest places to travel based on the intel you're getting. So maybe I'll just follow you around the world. I don't know.
1: You'd probably be pretty bored this year. I've just been watching my daughter play cricket. So <laughs> <laughs> unless you love cricket, this summer would be pretty pretty dull for you, I'm afraid, Paul.
0: So well, I don't mind don't mind a bit of cricket. That's for sure. <laughs> so so. And I, yeah, I don't know how much of this that you can share. So outside of that day-to-day, I mean, I presume you must have longer-term projects and things that you're yeah. working on. So any specific challenges or projects you're working on at the minute, perhaps from a people or process perspective? I mean, what kind of tech do you do you roll out? I mean, is it all data-driven? Does, do you get any specific markets? I'm fascinated to know what's going on in that side of the business.
1: It's, it's a bit of effort. So what's the biggest thing I've got at the moment? Um, we've designed a new sort of global policy framework. So how security fits together with all of the bits that I explained it, how do we fit that together and manage it correctly? Um, so we've written all of that and all the, the manuals that deliver it. Uh, so that's a huge project. We've also designed a hybrid risk model, which is, I think it's genius. The team have done a fabulous job of looking at, you know, can we operate in a country? Because bear in mind, we may have people going to countries where we don't operate. So we could be doing surveys of new locations that we wish to open or we run you know two runs work wise so um our colleagues can work anywhere in the world for 30 days so we could have colleagues that may want to go home to ukraine can we let them go and work there if so how do we make it safe for them to do so so there's can we operate and if we can operate what's the country risk profiles so that's everything from geopolitical environmental simple politics all the way up to you know lbgtq IA plus risks for travellers, so that creates an assessment profile, that provides a score, then you look at the region, is that different to the country, add them together, then you look at the what it is itself, is it a retail location, is it a corporate location, is it a hotel, then you chunk that down again, so if it's a hotel, beach, bar, pools, restaurants, rooms, car park, back of house, all the risks, then you look at your assets, then your brand, and you put all of that together and that tells you. How much security you should have how much you're spending what specification so we've built that uh, and that's been hard work so that that's on its way out the door um, it's quite clever isn't it you pull that together in one fell swoop so that hybrid model is is going out globally um, so what comes with that is obviously all the specs all the tech the kit and it's all relative by by marketplace mindful right. that we operate in different parts of the world so it can't be one size fits all because that doesn't work in different countries you know people talk about you know previously do you have chinese statement equipment well, yeah in china i do because i've got operations there um so it all depends on where it is in the world and how we can then link it together and how we can wire into it to get data out if at all because in the comment there are sorts of restrictions on that in certain places as well so you know you're mindful a five-star resort in a poor country may not have access to some of that stuff as well so there's different considerations Across security, so without me going into what we put in different place, I can't. But you know, there's all those considerations as well by the by the country risks that sit there.
0: That's quite an impressive uh, uh, feat to get out the door in uh, in what was a relatively short period of time that, mm. that you've been there. I mean, yeah, when you, it's, it's one thing to produce a document to cover that, but I guess when you have to chunk it down with every single country, or as you say, even territories within a country, I mean, it's just. It must be never you, you think you've done the chapter on country x and then you realize there's numerous regions within that with their own mm. quirks as well i mean absolutely yeah, it's just how do you even absorb and, and get to know it's, those quirks
1: it's i mean I've, my team are fabulous they really are um and that's what they spend their lives doing. they're experts in their field uh, as i say when we're looking at global intel or tactical intel on a daily basis that's that's their life, that's what they do every day, and they're brilliant at it. Um, so for an example, you know, West Africa, there's some elections coming up in in February, uh, next year, 2024. You know, the destabilization of that, all the misinformation, the impacts that could have on other countries. You've then got you know potential Russian uh, parliamentary forces at work, you've got coups going on. Now, all of those little bits added together could create could create an unsafe environment. Hopefully it won't, but we have to look at it every day, monitor it, and make the right decisions for us as an entity about the amount of passengers, people that are there or are going uh, to keep everybody safe. So, you know, that's part of a continent that we look at every single day. So yeah, it's, it's all about on having great systems, great access yeah. to data, great people um, and being brave with decisions and most importantly documenting them. Yeah, <laughs> goodness me, goodness
0: me. So look, one of the things that uh, I, I guess comes up time and time again, particularly sort of at retail risk conferences and on the sidelines is is people say, oh, you know, I think we should do this. I want to do that. How do I influence the board? How do I get what I think the business needs from an LP risk perspective? I mean, you've been there and done it in a in a whole variety of different organizations. So I assume you've got some top tips. So if you were to give some advice to somebody, they said, you know, what have you learned over the years about how to influence senior management or the board to get what you want? Because Clearly you don't make the impact you're making at all of the places you've been mm. without convincing the board senior management to to back the initiative, other than your winning smile and charm down. What what what's what's the you know, what's the key there, do you think, to unlocking it? Because it's the million dollar question that's been cropping up for the twenty yeah, years I mean, I've been involved in this space.
1: For me, it's it's always honesty and facts. So do all your research, get all your facts together, test it, write it, test it, write it. And then, when you're com- confident in what you found, start sowing the seed. Engage, 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 engage again, and then put the paper in, um, and that's it. And then just keep pushing. If they say no, go back again. Because ultimately, all of the elements we talk about, whether it regards what it is, whether it be retail, whether it be you know the touristic industry, everything costs money. And if you're adding something, it adds cost to something else, or it affects profitability. So as long as you're really clear on what you're spending, why you're spending it, and what the benefits are, that should be a no-brainer. Mm. But there's always the bigger picture. I find a lot of people can often look at, I've got this singular problem. You know, it's like the start of the NBCS, wasn't it? Oh, I've got this this, this criminal, Paul's stealing from me today. Well, that's great. But in a time when there's no money, the police aren't going to look at Paul stealing from one shop. Where's Paul really stealing from? Mm. Um, and that drove, I think, a great change of people looking more holistically uh, at, at risk, at um, risk. And also the ways of dealing with it, because you can't investigate everything. You know, if you look at a risk profile, some stuff you have to accept. So there's also pick your battles. I'd say would be my advice. What's the things going to make the most impact? Um, so for me, I've got a project on at the moment, looking at um, how we, you know, prevent serious incidents around the world. And what does that mean? That means contractual compliance with our partners, with our suppliers, with our colleagues, codes of conduct. Or, you know, and that's around the world. So that can't be legislative because it's different. In every country so it's about how are you going to succeed and keeping it really simple so that that would be my advice if you're going to try and get money out of people or change something um, know your numbers write well and sow the seed
0: yeah i, I like that the sow the seed an interesting one so i guess you know sort of uh, that's good old-fashioned westminster politics uh, so <laughs> or politics around the world isn't it it's just yeah. just just getting a few key people that when it comes to the vote they uh, out of the blue, I guess, stand up and, and back the initiative. So uh, maybe, uh, well, I was going to say maybe there's uh, a, a political aspirations in your future. But actually, uh, they're <laughs> already there, aren't they? For many of you know you've you've, yeah. you've already thrown your hat into that ring. So uh, uh, with everything you've learned, there's uh, there's there's got to be a future. So uh, I, I know in the UK we've just appointed a new defence secretary, but but yeah, maybe he's thing. known as a caretaker. He's uh, this is his fifth ministerial role in the last 12 months. Dan, there's a calling there. I definitely see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd want to be the Defence Secretary, if I'm honest. With you. Um, but, yeah, I'd, you know, I, I, I gave the PCC thing a run. Why? Because I got really frustrated with people talking about a world which they don't frankly understand or have the courtesy to engage with people like, you know, us who've lived this world, but they talk like they know it. And that I found that really annoying. Um, so, yeah, that's why I did it. There were 44,000 votes.
0: You know, pcc police and crime commissioner it's the political connection between the police force and uh and the wider population for anyone that doesn't uh recognize that i actually think uh it's a fabulous role and arguably it's got much more influence than an mp because you can directly control policing guidelines focus areas uh yeah I, I think it's i think it's a great role i know not everybody's a fan but uh i'm definitely in the in the camp of a fan of that initiative and you were as well so good luck if you go for that in the future yeah who knows <laughs> so look, um out of interest um many people have sort of got a, a, a go-to piece of magic if you like the first thing they go to from a from a risk perspective is there is there one piece of technology or a process that you go okay if i'm going to come and do this role i need this or is it you know is it is it what is it for you that you can okay that that's the first bit i need to build and it all comes yep. from
1: there so for me, there's a couple of bits that link together. Uh, so this role specifically TUI, and then I'll go into retail, um, strategic intelligence. Can, can we operate in that location safely? If we go there, what do we need to be thinking about? So if we do go there, then what's the risk profile? So what's the tactical intelligence? What does it look like on the ground? You know, people talk about protests impacting retail. What is the true impact? So it's about understanding, first of all, can you operate? If you can operate, something's happening. How do you continue to operate in a safe environment to keep everybody safe? Um, and then what do you learn from it? So for me, that that's the, the basis of every day. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to name suppliers on here, but I can if you want me to. Basically. Go for it, yeah. So yeah, uh, Dragonfly, uh, Max Security, Israeli company, they're fantastic. Uh, and they provide us information at the drop of a hat. Um, where you can say what's going on at that location now and then you blend that with your own people this is what we're hearing so you've got strategic, geopolitical, tactical intelligence put it together, what does that look like for us then you speak to your colleagues what does it feel like for you Uh, and then you've got a decent understanding of the reality of the world Um, it's it's easy to read but what does that actually mean in in the true impact Um, so yeah for me they're they're, they're the go-to every day for me to understand what's going on around the world and then put that into a retail scenario You know, how does that Protest? How does that instant impact our retail operation? We've got three hundred and twenty-four retail shops in the UK, um, so we've had something going on here. How does that impact them? What do they need? I think that the most recent risk for them would have been the steaming incidents around central London. You know, I think there's another one due in a week's time, Westfield, West London, all that sort of stuff, um, Stratford as well, out east. So yeah, you know, what does that look like for our retail colleagues? How are they going to be supported? What do they need to think about? Should a group of steamers come? Bowling through, you know, a major shopping center or high street. So, what does that come from? Can we operate? Is it safe? What's the intelligence? What advice can we give? How do we keep people safe? What do we learn from it? It's the same thing, but it's either global, country, region, or one location. Is it the same? Exactly the same approach. Um, so yeah, that that's my go-to, and then what comes with that is training, guidance, uh, and, and caring, really, because they're, they're your people. That's it.
0: Yeah, I guess you've got to take that intelligence, and then. Uh sanity check it against what's the impact to uh, my
1: people on the ground yeah there's a lot of misinformation out there as well and obviously social media doesn't help it's black or white there's no gray on social media which doesn't help um, matters and a lot of people will take a snip put a comment in and suddenly that's the reality but it may not be um so it's ensuring that we've got the truth so we can unpick it because that could be sold in at a senior level well that's happened has it you know so it's yeah. just making sure that the reality is actually the reality yeah <clears throat> More more often than not, social media is just what
0: one particular person wants you to think is going on in the world for whatever reason they want to to make it happen.
1: Absolutely. You know, we suffer. I think we all suffer that, don't we? Brand risk from, you know, a member of the public or anyone's view on social media as to how it made them feel at material time may be true to them, but may not be reflective of the actual wider view.
0: There is an ongoing and growing list of companies that uh, made a social media faux pas, isn't there, Or, or managed to just get caught up in something that wasn't of their doing on social media and sales plummet, share prices get impacted. Yeah, it's just it's an absolute minefield for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, so they I talked about the sort of strategic task. We've then got our protective intelligence view. So that looks at all those elements every day, what's going on, what are people saying, what we need to learn about, are there other protests, you know, um, you know, the environmental challenges and what, what's too great at sustainability. We've got some fantastic, you know, the foundation that operates around the world to look at how we can, you know, give back to communities we operate in, which is fab but then we've got to think about how we make them safe as well at the same time just genius so um i want to stay with retail just for a minute because
0: you had uh probably one of the uh clearest crystal balls uh over the last decade in terms of sort of predicting what was going on uh, i'm just intrigued as to how you see uh retail in terms of store openings e-com new channels to market do, yep. do you do you look at it and you remain buoyant and optimistic or are you glad to be out of it and on the uh on the travel side now?
1: No, it's buoyant and optimistic. I think you know retail has has absolutely got a place. I love retail. It's a really challenging environment to operate. Anyone that says working in retail is easy again is not telling the truth. Um and retail will always have a place one in my heart and in society. And I think um it will absolutely continue and it will also evolve. So we've got some great partnerships going on with Next and ASDA. Um, So I think the way that businesses operate will evolve. So you will see businesses inside businesses. And I remember uh, back in an old world, we talked about, you know, return hubs, where you could return multiple items into one hub rather than having to go back to a specific retail location to ensure the online journey is linked into the the customer journey in the same place. And, you know, I think that's coming. Um, But what comes with that is a different side of risk that, you know, the chargeback element, the different refund fraud elements. Uh, which we all suffer with um you know people buying holidays different names changing the manifest refund to a different person all those risks exist for everybody uh it's just how we manage them whilst ensuring genuine customers get a fab journey so there's a great part of all of that of you know cash management e-com, chargeback management um rfid you know all of those bits linked together and that could be even into food for my world now the sustainability of food and water uh losses um food loss prevention, grazing, you know, hotel led, or, um, you know, foreign exchange losses, things like that. So there's a whole, it's not the same, but the principles are the same. The thought process is the same. Um, yeah. So it's got a place. And I think, you know, the independent retailer is also coming back because people like, um, not just the multinationals, but also people working really hard to look after their communities where there's gaps because there are gaps on the high street. Um, so I think, you know, it's going to go through a period of evolution. It's just how we bring the e the multinationals and the independents together to make sure they're respectful to each other and remain. Well, I mean, the nearest
0: uh, thing many of us have got to a return hub at the minute is going back and using the independents. So yep. I live can't really be remote in the UK as such compared to other places in the world. But, you know, the sort of a well-known brand to return a product. It's a 20 mile round trip if, if the retailers use that particular um you know supplier to to post and and get a return and it's an absolute first world problems but paying paying the backside to to return that but actually two miles down the road in the next village that little independence now got most of the big brands as a return so uh, that independent gets gets my trade because you always make a an extra purchase when you're there so um um yeah i, th- I think yeah that they they seem to be innovating and have refound their mojo and their niche um in terms of space that's certainly my perception of a, of a lot yeah, of the absolutely. independents and, and where i live there's a few new independents popping up as well they're yeah. opening up so yeah something this is where the,
1: the multinational companies or the online retailers only should support those markets because mm. they're actually operating a part of the customer journey for those those large online only, only um businesses so i think that collaboration would better help the independents managing it, space, high-loss line items, looking at return fraud risks, what should they be looking for for the item coming back, damage, et cetera. And that cross-industry engagement would really help everybody. And that's the bit for me that's missing, because you can have that bit with the independent who's managing it on behalf of this huge company, but they're not talking to them about the impacts they face from doing it for them. And I think that would be a really beautiful way of linking that part of the world together so there's definitely a business opportunity out there for somebody who wants to pick that up
0: yeah there you go i mean i I, my boys are 10 and 11 and uh, we overpaid for prime from our local independent for nearly uh, probably six or eight months returning parcels so uh yeah it kind of worked for well it didn't work for me so well but uh, well i guess it saved the drive to the (laughs) the depot but uh bottles of prime and the product got returned so yeah it was good all round. so yeah maybe maybe it does it needs pulling together and it is absolutely A service for that can drive the independent that can be beneficial for the consumer Uh, and I think they can be operate just beyond where the big brands want to be because they wouldn't go into villages necessarily because it wouldn't be commercially strong the independents can absolutely thrive in those
1: locations with with the rafter services and that should then drive shared service security models and I'm still a a big advocate that everybody having their own security model is absolutely bonkers Uh, I've said that for god knows how long now I remember community guarding back at the Sainsbury's days. You know, that, yep. that's exactly what it was for. We had a security model that worked through Brighton Hove, worked with the BCRP, and we had on-street security, which worked in partnership with the BCRP. Still had responsibilities for stores, but it became a community resource that everyone could feed into. That generated intel, looked after the vulnerable, um, and the vulnerable, unfortunately, are often your offenders at the same time. So it furthered eyes and ears at a time when policing wasn't there from a visibility standpoint. Mm-hmm. So... Is there still a part for community policing to play? Yes, absolutely, and I think that should also move into you know community technology hubs because you know people spend a lot of money on security, whether it be tech install, maintenance, monitoring, people. Whereas if that was a community-based focus, it would improve the standards, it would link up together, sharing, uh, and create a safe environment. I mean, some you know thing with shopping centre, you can do it there. Why can't you do it on the high street? Yeah, I just think the high streets are a bit more sensible. They can yep. really work together with their local authorities. You know the bids, uh, the bcrps and and really help each other. And again, you know, I remember we did the the bid work back in 2018 about trying to get the bids on a consistent theme around security principles. So again, that that's all taken off, and great people push that forward. But there's there's so much more. I think society and businesses could do collaborative to help each other. And I know there's you know people want to succeed, so they want to keep growing, but they will because they'll be spending less.
0: There you go, and and long may people like yourself and others continue to drive that forward. Because without a doubt, there is a benefit for all. Um, yeah. Dan, it's always an absolute pleasure to to catch up. Thank you so much for uh, finding the time to talk to me. I hope we might get to meet again in person in the very near future, and uh, uh, and hopefully that might be at Retail Risk Leicester early October. Your invite is always there and open, as is your seat on on many tables at the Fraud Awards in the I've already
1: UK. booked a ticket, Paul. I'm definitely <laughs>
0: Fantastic. But for now, Dan, thank you very much indeed. Take care.
1: Paul, great to see you. Thanks a lot.